The Incomparable Podcast, number 40, May 2011. We are back on The Incomparable Podcast, and it is once again time, I know that you're going to find this hard to believe, but it is once again time for the Comic Book Club. The Comic Book Club is back! It's back in Yay. session! Hooray! All right, our, so uh, joining me are my uh, faithful members of the comic book club. We'll, we're going to, maybe we'll find a way to add somebody else at some point. I don't know, but we've got a solid three. Uh, we might not need any more. Uh, join, joining me, as always, Jason Brightman. Hello. Hey. And Lisa Schmeiser. I'm already planning initiation rights for the newer members. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're gonna, we're going to ma- have to make them read something, everything we've already read. Something horrible. Oh, no, that's good. No, they'll have to read the entire run of Micronauts to satisfy me. How about that? <laughs> Just for punishment. Wow, that was probably the the fastest mention of the Micronauts <laughs> in any of the. Podcasts. If you had one minute in the over under, you, you if you if you chose one minute, you win the the lottery in the drinking game. Yes, that's right. I had to I had to get it in there. What better reference <laughs> right. could I make? Because Micronauts really has nothing to do with planetary. Um, so planetary was the choice that we made like a million years ago to talk about, and we're actually going to talk about it. Interestingly I, I, enough. I still feel like we should have waited another nine or ten years. I was going to just mention, yeah, yeah, <laughs> considering how long it took planetary to come out with the 26 issues. Yeah, I, I was shocked to discover that it took them, it took them, ten like, years it, from yeah, to ten end. years to go 27 issues, 26 issues, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Shocking. Because I, I read it all. I think I read the last eight issues today. <laughs> and it's sort of unfair. You do get the sense that I, I did realize at some point when I started reading it, it was clearly set right before the turn of the millennium. Mm-hmm. And then um, as I'm reading the later issues, they're talking about how it's already passed. And I'm like, did I miss that? Or did this just take so long to come out? That- which which brings up some interesting <laughs> continuity issues with the millennium babies that were characters in uh, a lot of Warren Ellis' stuff. They yeah. kind of glossed over because I'm of that I'm glad you mentioned the millennium date. babies because that was a huge component of the whole – that was a huge component of the whole universe when they first started. You had Jenny Sparks with the authority – and Elijah Snow, and the two of them obviously know each other. Right. And there was a potential, and they had the one crossover comic with the two of them. But they took that really great idea of, of a planetary defense system and just dropped it. So yep. so let's back up a second, because as, as somebody who, you guys really um, know this stuff, and I have, I'm a babe in the woods when it comes to this, as with many things. I, I had never, I had never, I think I had heard of this, but I knew nothing about it. So it's, it's um, a Wildstorm imprint book, right? Which is DC, basically, but it's a specific like corner is of Wild DC. Is Wildstorm always DC? Because no, so, Jason could answer that. Yeah, better. Wildstorm. Explain this to me. Uh, Wildstorm was Jim Lee's studio that was part of Image Comics. Huh. And everything started that way. Uh, at some point many years ago, DC bought Wildstorm. So they left Image, ah. moved over to DC. They were their own universe. Uh, a year or two ago, then DC folded the universe into the DC universe, and just last year they, uh, or maybe it was earlier this year, they've canceled all of the Wildstorm titles. Ah, mm-hmm. all right. So so started an image, moved to DC, its own universe. Um, I've read something in this universe before because I read The Authority, yes. right, which, which has place. Jenny Sparks, mm-hmm. and then this has Elijah Snow, which is an, another one of these uh, millennium, millennium or century babies. Or, oh, century right. babies, yeah. Yeah, we're, cause they're, they were all born on New Year's Day, 1900. And, mm-hmm. um, so, and they're um, supposed to live 100 years and then die. Yeah. Right. Which so, was, yeah. Which is complicated because, you know, the planetary ends up being after the end of the century, but Elijah is still alive. Oops, I thought, well, he didn't. He obviously skated on that one. Um, so, um, so 26, 27, something like that issues over the course of 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we should say by Warren Ellis and John Cassidy, who I actually first saw his art with um, Joss Whedon, the Astonishing, say, Astonishing X. X-Men. And that's one of the reasons Planetary took so long is he left to go do that. Planetary uh, started before that. And finished it after. Yeah, Planetary mm-hmm. started, and then there were 24 issues of Astonishing X-Men, and then mm-hmm. they finished the 25 issues of Planetary. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so I have to say, being the one who just read this, this is this thing you had me read, this is one of the craziest things I have ever ever read. Craziest comics, certainly. Really? It, it, is, it is crazy in a good way, but mm-hmm. it is because it's this – I mean, how many layers are going on here? Um, let's Let's – Let's break it down because otherwise I, my head will explode. Um, a whole underlying <laughs> thing here is that we're looking at analogs of other, not even superheroes, other heroic kind of archetypal um, 
well, it's not even archetypes. They're like ver- altered versions of heroic, famous characters. But they're archetypes. I mean, the, there's the Superman, the Wonder Woman, right. all that. Would, right. They, right. And there are some. Sound the spoiler horns. There are some. There are okay. spoilers spoiler, spoiler horn! Because there is that one issue where they kill Superman and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, same issue. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. right. And it's it's a great issue. When I when I realized but they're, they're not. Oh my god! But gosh, they're not they're actually the Superman. Superman, right? No, but you're supposed right. to pick that up. It's a baby from outer yeah. space who comes mm-hmm. down to Earth, and they and a woman they, from a, a island who comes yeah. to save mankind yes. with bracelets. Right. So some of them are are are, are analogs. They're parallels yeah. to existing ones. And yeah. then you've got some characters. There's a character who's kind of like the Shadow, but he's mm-hmm. also kind of like the Green Hornet. Right. And there's a Ghost Rider, a and Hulk. The, a lone the Lone Ranger is the one that blew. Yeah, anyway, yeah. And then there's a uh, where where I'm sitting there watch, reading the story, thinking, "Wow, this is pretty wacky." He's out in the desert, and mm-hmm. his body's been dumped, but he's not quite dead. And the Indian pumps him full of hallucinogens, and all of a sudden, he's like the makes he makes yeah. silver bullets and puts ash around his eyes, and he's the ghost uh, ranger. Yeah. <laughs> it's like wow. And then um, what was the other what well, was the other crazy one? The main antagonist of the Fantastic Four. Well, that so right. so it always comes back to the Fantastic Four with us. So. <laughs> I, I find that funny that 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 I assume would be another one of these analogs. And let me I'll go there with the our our friends at home listening to this. The the way planetary set up is each issue is a self contained story, mm-hmm. essentially, and that up to, till the end, till the end. And all of these characters that we're talking about, these analogs, they introduce. It's like one an issue, typically sometimes more, but it's sort of there's a complete storyline there where the right. the planetary is it the planetary organization, planetary agency, planetary. Group, whatever the governing body, whatever they are. Yeah, they are explore archaeologists of the unknown. Mm-hmm. They're they're about discovering the secret history of the planet. Their job is to curate mysteries, basically. Yeah, and so each time they they find this mystery, like in the the Hulk story, it was this town in New Mexico that was used for bomb experiments, and then they find this very deep pit that this person who became the Incredible Hulk analog. The government dug a really big hole and put it in, and then it was about how it took him 60 years to starve to death. And, you know, essentially most of these analogs end up dying tragically as if they— The if, Godzilla analog dies ter- in another terrible way. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of if these people really existed, what would the right the governing bodies do to them? And how would probably, our world kill them? Right, kill yeah. them right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it turns out that the people organizing this are that Fantastic Four analog, which have been— sort of retarding the growth of humanity for the last 60 years or so and like mm-hmm. taking all these extraordinary things that could be gifts to mankind and either burying them, killing them, hiding them. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting because they introduce the Fantastic Four analog and I kind of expect, again, that that will be a one-shot deal. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say, oh, I see what they're doing and there's a four and there's the scientist mm-hmm. and his girlfriend and the, and the rough and tumble test pilot and the kid brother. And they go – and then they, they come back and, and they've got you know some recognizable powers. It's like clearly they're the Fantastic Four analog and they're, they're horrible and they're not just horrible. They become – again, we've already fired the spoiler horn here. They are the villain of the, mm-hmm. of the story arc of this 25-issue limited series. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the super, super bad guys and um, which I thought was kind of brilliant because the whole rest of the run, I'm sitting there kind of laughing as I read it thinking, oh, the Fantastic Four are very, very bad people. Because there's also mm-hmm. the identity mystery that starts off where Elijah Snow is, is trying to figure out why he's lost so much of his memory and who right. who is he, what is what is he doing, what is his connection. And, so and who that, is the fourth man yeah. because the planetary is made up of, of three, right, three For, individuals. Yeah. And then the fourth man is the mysterious benefactor who runs the mm-hmm. planetary organization. And then you find out. Elijah Snow is the fourth man and, and, he, was our, is, and he just wiped his real, own memory. Yeah, and then the question is who's the real fourth man and that's when they have the the very last issue which is sort of your and now the gang is back together. Right. And I have to admit I love this series I I love this series as a whole but the last issue is kind of problematic for me because it feels a little bit too it's like the reunion. Series, well, it's like it's a like series. It's like a reunion show. It's like a season. It's like a season <laughs> finale, finale yeah. where where oh Chuck is getting married and we brought back this guy from his interdimensional. Oh, that's to- that's totally where, how it felt to me. Is it's, yeah. it's the coda where we get to see everybody and everybody gets kind of an ending and yeah. and, and being, it's the end. Being a huge fan of time travel, all that meta mm-hmm. discussion about that was so how great. the world co- would collapse if a mm-hmm. time machine was built and and going into kind of the pseudoscience of that, I thought so, was awesome. So yeah. cra- speaking of crazy. Um, one of the things that I thought was really crazy is this idea that that um, is based on some, <clears throat> if not scientific facts, some some valid scientific theory. theory. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
which is that there, you know, it's a snowflake in a several thousand dimensional universe and that we're mm-hmm. actually um, not in a three-dimensional universe but are a holographic projection on a two-dimensional universe. I just read a book, which I mentioned on a previous podcast, by Brian Greene uh, that's about uh, parallel universes that talks in detail about this idea, the holographic theory, that, that the three dimensions are actually just um, a, an effect of a two-dimensional surface. And that's in Planetary throughout. They keep talking about the two-dimensional information set and there are a bunch of st- a stack of universes, and it's pretty. Uh, you can read it as just being sort of like ridiculous comic mumbo jumbo, except it actually isn't, and it's kind of fascinating. And the idea that the drummer kind of can tap into the information mm-hmm. source, and that they're all sort of the reason there are the, the the century babies is because they're kind of generated out of the information plane in order to protect things and be mm-hmm. error correction, and it's 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 crazy, but it's not. Um, just like ridiculous flight of fancy. There's something to it. It, That's the two points with that. The first is a lot of great writers are able to do that sort of thing, like the Warren Ellis, Alan Moore, back to the original comic writers in the 60s, back to like Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, Jurassic Park. Grant Morrison, because The Invisibles has a lot of that too, where there's the extra-dimensional... for lack of a better word, there are extra-dimensional worlds that are basically pure information, and a lot of what goes on through the invisibles comes down to who's trying to control the information and alter reality as we understand it. Mm-hmm. And the last issue of that series pretty much ends with them having effectively hacked reality, changed the whole world's perceptions, and then the last the last page is one of the characters holding out his hand and saying, oh, where will we go? What will we do? And so when I was reading through Planetary over 10 years, I would add, <laughs> <laughs> I thought there were actually kind of a lot of parallels to the invisibles with the sense that there are structures within structures, things that you can perceive, things outside your perception. And what happens is when something outside your perception shifts into your perception, it's dealing with the reality fallout. And I was reading some meta stuff into it as well when they're talking about the, the, the two-dimensional planes and the 3D people standing on them. I was thinking the two-dimensional planes were the page mm-hmm. that I was looking at them on. And that information stack is the stack of papers making up this comic book I'm mm-hmm. reading now. And that they were sort of at some level talking about where characters in this book, the same way Grant Morrison yeah. always talks about characters in a narrative. And, mm-hmm. and what makes it more exciting is what you bring to it. Is, I'm excited about your idea because there's what you bring to it as a reader, too. As you're reading it, you're also thinking about different comics you've read and how this all ties in. So you're bringing in even more dimensions of information as well. And well, there, now I've just there, is that level, there is that level, too, where they talk about the um, – the the realm of fiction, which is actually a little bit similar to the the unwritten, which yeah, we talked right. about in our first comic book club, where there's a realm of fiction and there's somebody who comes out of it and they go back into it and there's like a universe that's created mm-hmm. and and they they tie that in at the end and they say well you know if you if you've got this kind of two dimensional zone of information from which everything is all the universes are generated then you're not just it's not some necessarily fantastical land of fiction it could you know writers create a universe it could be a real universe that they're created that it, it is reality it's not just a flight of fancy mm-hmm. it's real which is um which ties into that which is uh like i said crazy but it's it's really cool um time travel you mentioned, and that was another on my list of things that I I just shook my head and was like, "Wow, there's so much here. It is so dense." The you you um you mentioned it in the, in the finale. Basically, there's this whole idea about um you can create a time machine, but when you create a time machine, you can't travel further back than the creation of the time machine, which is an idea. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Primer. Yep, which is a low budget, brilliant, crazy, also crazy, uh, low budget sci- sci-fi movie about these these guys in a, a office park in Austin, Texas, who build a time machine. They invent a time machine, and it's a uh, it's a, you can watch it like ten times and still not know what's going on because mm-hmm. they keep on going back over each other's timelines. Um, but uh, that I thought about that because it's a similar kind of premise. But what they take it to is the next level and say. Right now, it's all possibilities, but once you create a time machine, um, it flattens all the possibilities and just creates a single true reality because they can all travel back and and they all will travel back to the earliest point they can. And, you know, there's no real resolution to that other than maybe that's not the way it works and Elijah Snow doesn't care. He's mm-hmm. going right, to do the time travel and, yeah. anyway. And then suddenly analogs of themselves, dozens of analogs of themselves from the future appear to watch them as soon as he presses the button, which yeah. is, you know, a great scene. Again, I'm not quite sure whether I parsed 
how much sense it makes or not, but it's sort of chilling to watch and the way that mm-hmm. the way and that it's laid out very witness. very yeah. artfully about how they they do the time sequence where you see them appear, which I was impressed of throughout. I think that the the way that it's the way that it's drawn and the way the sequence of the panels even are are so cinematic, yeah, and the timing cinematic. is really. I mean, some there's there's a page um, in one of the latter issues which I thought you know this is just brilliant timing. It's four panels and the dialogue is on the third panel and it's entirely built so that you have that pause where where pause for the joke and then the joke hits or or the punchline. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of amazing. But the time travel was the one that really impressed and, me there. And I read that scene uh, similar to when we uh, uh, did the first nuclear bomb test. And there was the very real possibility that there'd be a chain reaction and it would ignite the atmosphere and all life on Earth would end. And, uh, you know, they thought it was worth the risk. And Elijah Snow, knowing that creating the time machine, there's a very real possibility it flattens all of reality and the universe essentially implodes and everything is over the minute you turn on the time machine. But it was worth the risk to save the third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and he was like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Push the button. And it turns out they were wrong too. Yeah, right, right. But that he would take the risk, and that's that was just a great. I mean, it does feel like a series finale, but I and and it's weird because the main arc is over. But at the same time, I kind of like the um, the whole idea of it's a guy who can control physics, and so he stops time and he creates a little bubble bubble where time mm-hmm. doesn't move. But um, how do you get him out of it if mm-hmm. you can't go into it because there's no time inside the bubble? And so it was like, well, now that we've had the end of our series and we've reached this exalted position, what do we do there? And rather than take that you know, for another 20 issues over the next 50 years, <laughs> they decide, well, here's an example of the kind of stuff that is in the life of planetary now that they've defeated the four is they're yeah. going to do stuff, crazy stuff like this. And you can kind of only imagine what other crazy stuff they do. Well, when you... the one, not one, but one of the redeeming graces of the last issue, too, is at one level, Planetary is also about Elijah Snow's emotional journey. Right. Because either he deliberately regressed or there was something kind of broken in him when he did agree to being mind-wiped by the four. And over the course of the series, you find out the the things that drove him as a young man, the heartbreak he endured with um, Jaquita's mom. And by the end of it, he is the kind of guy who's like, I have no problem blowing up the universe if it means saving a friend. And that's something that Elijah Snow would probably not have done at earlier points in the in this in the story. But over the course of twenty six issues, you see how he begins to put in heavy emotional lifting and work on on how do I feel about these people that I'm working with, and right. and what kind of stake do I have in, in in their happiness and mine? And they comment on that, like that whole last issue. All of his friends are, or actually the last couple of issues, his friends are like, "Oh my, he's changed so much." But they were kind of afraid right. of him and the yeah. change. Well, and, and he's changed so much since the mind wipe, and he says, "No, no, you know, I have changed, but that's not why." Yeah. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's actually one of the one of the characteristics about Wildstorm I've always felt is that. It's not a warm and mushy type of universe. It's not overtly emotional or filled with a lot of sincerity. It's it's characterized by kind of a reflexive irony and a grim sense of purpose. And that can be a lot of fun to read. For example, when they had Stormwatch as a series, um, the the dialogue and the the crazy ambitions people had were, were two of the appealing things about the characters. And that, Stormwatch is the Stormwatch is the that precursor to authority. authority right. And then an authority, you, uh, one of the things that was driving that was the rock-hard conviction of all the characters that, hey, we're superheroes. We we can clean up the world and no one's going to right. stop us, so let's do it. Which and, is actually one of the reasons why I wasn't disappointed at w- mm-hmm. the point at which um, Planetary ends. Yeah. Because you could do another series about what happens when they've re- reached that exalted position, yeah. but they did it. No. It's the authority. That that's what that's about. Yeah. Right. And it's also that in this case, the ones who had reached that exalted position were the four. Mm-hmm. Right. And in a, in <laughs> Initially. a sense, it yeah. was. And, right. And uh, they make this deal with the hoarded... alien race to, that will retard our, our planet's growth. Great and, plot and, twist, And we'll way. set you guys up for, and we'll set it up for easy invasion. And oh, by the way, let's wipe out another planet's population to store our weapons. Right. Like that's one of the most indelible panels of the series for me is when they're standing and they realize that they're just standing in a sea of bones. Because the four had such contempt for life of any form, they couldn't even be bothered to clean up their mess. They just left it right there. And right, but in a way, because Warren Ellis created the authority as well. Yes. And you know, in some ways, I think Planetary was a almost an admission that if the authority existed like the four, yeah, another group would have to take them down. Like well, that yeah. can't be allowed to continue. 
Well, there's a Planetary Authority crossover, um, just there one of those one spin-off of ones. Yep. And um, you see that the Authority has turned into just this, this horrible collection of cyborgs and, and reptilian figures that goes from universe to universe, destroying the planetary organization everywhere it goes. And, <laughs> and so – and planetary finally shuts them down. So it, it does play out that tension between unchecked power versus idealism. But, you know, looping back around to the original point, I actually think um, Planetary is one of the most humane books when you think about it in the Wildstorm universe because, again, you've got people who are doing things out of, out of a genuine sense of compassion and curiosity and wonder as opposed to, I can shoot fire from my fingertips. How can I use this against genocidal dictators? Right. Well, there is that the, the whole idea of an archaeologist and there is a mm-hmm. detachment in the a sort of observation of of that all that, that kind of cynicism and, mm-hmm. oh, we've, you know, we found this woman who came to save mankind so we kill her yeah like they the book can get that across but not Mm -hmm. lose any of that hope or idealism because the characters who are sort of discovering this are doing it from the outside yeah right their their job is to i mean the story arc as a whole right you start their job is to unearth the the evidence of what happened and observe it right Mm -hmm. and and the story arc really comes from the fact that by collecting all of that information, re- something is revealed that they can't not take action right. about. So, so you know, in the end, they can't be just observers of this stuff. But that's sort of the initial thing: is yeah. that you know they're not they're not really rendering judgment; they're just discovering what happened, and then they're putting it into their planetary guides, right? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. which then uh, accumulates to the point where it becomes quite clear that th- something is going on that they need to do something about, yeah. and then that kicks off the arc. It's quite clever because you you think what you're seeing is almost an anthology series and then it turns out that it's actually you've actually been seeing huge just seeds of story arc that will then largely get paid off right i mean oh, it, yeah. most of that stuff does get paid off it's not just sort of there for fun generally you get toward the end of an issue and you realize oh that's why the story is important instead of just being like oh well that was interesting tarzan huh yeah. right know, which... no the spaceship is my favorite uh where they send Arc. the thing character away. Well, and not just that. You've got the guy who who agrees to basically give up his humanity and his oh, life to, right. to to steer the ship as well. And even when they do do the the issue where they send the thing away, they have the recording angels who are who are going to go to their deaths. And all they all they express is gratitude for the opportunity to be able to record the experiences they go. And there's all these little humbling moments that are just scattered through the whole series where they. There's kind of a sense of, of joy of discovery throughout it where, where you have all these people who are like, yes, they're, this is not the life I would have chosen, but think about what I'm going to get out of what I'm, what I'm doing now. And it's incredibly optimistic. It is. Yeah. You know, um, for those – I imagine there are probably some people listening I mean, quite who, who haven't re- read it yet. And that's OK because, I mean, hey, the good guys win at the end. Big shock. But, um, but how they do it is it really is about the journey. Um, what I'd say is that this is this book really hits the sweet spot if you're somebody who likes superhero comics and likes the kind of sci-fi, whether sci-fi comics or other kind of sci-fi stuff, which I always I always loved uh, too. And for me, this is this great combination of that because there are these crazy science fictional concepts throughout, and yet it's also all about iconic heroes, not just superheroes, mm-hmm. but you know like the Lone Ranger and things like that too and Tarzan and you put it all together in a in a blender and it, it's you know it's a great combination to get both of those things I think together. it would appeal to people who like some of those sort of mysteries like X-Files or Lost because there is that 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 discovery wow. aspect mm-hmm. and that ongoing yeah. kind yeah. of Well I was thinking this is almost the X-Files done right where you've got the You've got the self-contained stories, but there's a myth and an origin story that arches throughout, and there's an actual satisfying payoff as opposed to, and now we end in a cave. Yeah, right. Lost. Uh, it's like Lost in the sense that the that um, all the TV shows that try to replicate Lost made the mistake of having crazy sci-fi arc stuff happen in the first episode with, yeah. uh, with lots of time discontinuities and stuff like that. And if you look at the first season of Lost, what got people hooked on Lost is that it was slow. There were very few genre things introduced at all. And it was all about characters and telling stories. And then they would continually ratchet it up and, you know, and then they lost some people and other people uh, in the audience stayed. Fair, You know, there's whole arguments to be made about Lost in a different podcast. But um, that's what struck me about Planetary. I, now that you mention it, um, 
is it it takes its time like that and what you, you don't you don't say this is going to be a complicated story arc about this group and this group battling each other over the fate of the planet instead you say hey there's this group who learns these interesting stories we're going to tell those stories and then as you see the stories it starts to come together and you mm-hmm. realize there is something bigger uh, you know that sort of stealth approach mm-hmm. of you the, the story you're reading is not the story you think you're reading is so much more effective and you know, I go back to the lost knockoffs where they didn't get it. That that you know, go jumping to the end doesn't make you get to satisfaction faster. It destroys all the satisfaction because you you yeah. know you don't have that moment of discovery. Because I freely admit, as a reader, reading the back third of Planetary was really really exciting. I mean, I had gotten into it pretty much when it started and was like, you know, it's fun to read, whatever. But when I would say when the last six or seven issues were coming out, I was I would practically skip home from the comic book store because I was just so excited to see where the payoffs would be. <laughs> when those last six issues came out over a course of seven years. Yes. <laughs> it was it was the race between that and Rising Stars, honestly, to see which one would end uh, first. Yes. Oh, I was so bitter about that. But um, it's it was the if reading through that series is so satisfying, especially if you did sink in again ten years. By the time you're at the end of it, you're like Oh my gosh! They've 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 pulled this reference out. They've tied this back in, and you see all these pieces fall into place. And I'm not sure how much of that is a side effect of well, they've had this leisure of time and space to to wrap things up and really think them through, and how much of it they had planned out, and then surprise, other projects got in the way. But either way, it makes for a really gratifying experience as a reader. It, it, it I would think of all of the comics I've read, mm-hmm. they when you are asked that desert island question, if you could have one series. You know, for the rest of your life, this is the only comic you're ever going to read. I think Planetary would be it. Wow. It, it to me, it has there's certainly a lot there, right? There's yeah. a lot there, and to, the the tone was just so pitch perfect. And you were talking about it mm-hmm. earlier with like the art and the pacing and the cinematicness of the mm-hmm. whole thing. It's just pitch perfect tone, and it's so beautiful to look at. I mean, Cassidy's art is just sublime. Yeah, he's great. I recommend buying it in the uh, the two absolute collections. Yeah, because the, then you have the large, oversized art. It's just gorgeous. And the good news is, when you order those, they come, and that you don't have to wait ten years. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that seriously for 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 those who who didn't see it all the way through, mm-hmm. now you can just watch it. I mean, that, that is the advantage of uh, mm-hmm. of waiting. The disadvantage is that you don't get to see it while it's happening. But see, the advantage is you get it all about, wrapped up. That was my philosophy at why I still haven't watched Battlestar Galactica was I, I wanted to make sure the whole series wrapped up and people were satisfied with it before I even started Well, it, it. did wrap up. <laughs> and some people were satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people some people were. Well, I say that about yeah. Lost, too, right? Yeah. Lost wrapped up and a lot of people were dissatisfied. I thought it was both of those series. I thought the last season was a disappointment. And yet mm-hmm. at the end, I, I thought you know, I wasn't as down on the end. I, 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 I guess I must be forgiving of series finales because, I, you know, it's tough to do a big finish. And I yeah. didn't think they completely – either of them completely blew it. I thought, the st- I thought that the last episodes of both of those shows were, um, were maybe good unto themselves but perhaps failed in living up to the series that came before. So that mm-hmm. as an episode, I was like, oh, well, I see. It. That's not a bad way to end it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then I look back on all the stuff that they had set up and and, and then you kind of get disappointed yeah. by it. But Endings are really, really hard. They are really hard. Yeah, because Witness is talking about the very last issue of Planetary, right. too. <laughs> right. To me. Although it's the next to last issue that's sort of the climax, right? Yeah. Because the last issue is cool. The, the, the next to last issue, I – you know, they kind of like wrap it. up the whole story arc in three three pages, yeah. right. where there's a, was, where there's a he snaps his fingers, they drop the body, and it's, right. The, I thought yeah. they were the 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 last two members of the four were dispatched a little too easily, considering how built up it was for so long. I right. felt they're a an little, unbeatable enemy, right? That, but the, he has a plan, exactly. <laughs> which is it's just interesting thing about the character the entire time, Elijah Snow. Once he figures out who he is. Mm-hmm. That he is the guy with the plan, yeah, um, and thinks through the angles, and and at the end is willing to take risks. But it it did seem those last three pages of the the second to last issue kind of was oh they need to wrap this up because they're ready to end the series, right? Um, and kind folks, of abrupt. It was abrupt. The, the, That's why I was happy that they had the last issue because the last issue actually redeemed a lot of it because I got to see sort of the aftermath. And if it had just ended with that, you know, the the, the final resolution, mm-hmm. it would have been a, actually a real downer because it would have been like, really, that's it, and now you're done. That's the whole. That's how you tell the story, right? Because it doesn't it doesn't really resolve Elijah's arc, right? I mean, yeah. you need to you see need those him emotional be resolutions you yeah. get in the last issue. And to me, that's the last issue I liked so much more than the second to last issue. Ah. Uh. Which is a nice trick, right? They so they 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 didn't quite stick the ending, but it wasn't 
the ending. They got to do a little bit more. Right, it's like Lord of the Rings. There were several endings. <laughs> oh, Lord. It was like Choose Your Own Adventure with well, the endings. Yeah, not quite that not bad. bad. <laughs> right. No, no but because it, it made sense. There was the, there was the plot ending in yeah. that second to last issue where they dispatched the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And then the sort of more emotional character arc ending of the last issue. Right. If you view the next to last issue from the character perspective, that's about um, the other two members of Planetary coming to accept that Elijah is going to do what he's going to do and they need to trust him. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the the character thing that happens in that episode. It's like we're going to you know, we're going to invest our trust in this guy and it pays off. Um, you know, but plot wise, yeah, it was it's always the danger though. I mean, that's the danger on on TV shows too, mm-hmm. on you know, this happened Any in Doctor Who a narrative. lot. You create this huge villain, you know, Doctor Who Buffy, I mean, it's happened in lots of TV shows, huge big bad, you build him up, and then you got to resolve it. And um unless you have an incredibly ambitious, you know, multi-part TV episode or issue or whatever, uh, you know, tear down, take down of that big bad, if you're doing it, you know, in in the, your regular format, it's going to be yeah, five six pages of the takedown, and, the, and you're always almost always left with wondering how big and bad were they? If but see, this you, is it, what you want, and you get this like on the what's widely considered one of the best episodes of Doctor Who, that Castro Lava, which dispatched the fifth Doctor. Oh no, right. Caves of Androzani. Caves of yeah, thank you, Caves yes. of Androzani. Everybody dies. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you the. It's not about taking down the bad guy or how fast or how hard. It's what were the consequences. If you build right. up the bad guy, there's, there has to be consequences. There has to be sacrifices that made. That would actually make sure. a really – they're doing this in Fables, though, where they had the war and they dispatched the, uh, the big bad emperor, the, the, the enemy. And Bill Willingham has been basically playing out what happens afterward where people are like, okay, the foe is conquered – Oh crap! What do we do now? Right, because nation they, they, building is really hard. Nation, well, and, yeah, and, 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 and if you've had this sense of purpose, where my sense of purpose is to vanquish this 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 evil force, and then all of a sudden the force is gone, and there's still these things that are broken in your life, you have nothing to blame that those problems on anymore. So what do you do? <laughs> and you know, I'm 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 delighted by what they're doing with fables right now. In in that sense, where again, there's the nation building. There's all these different factions that are now either coalescing or splitting apart. As people try to regain their moral footing and try to re- reconfigure their futures, and I wish more comic books would do that, or or more or more series in general, because as you said, so so many times it's we have this this force that we have to or this person we have to vanquish, ta da, we've we've triumphed and smash cut fade to black, as opposed to ta da, we've triumphed, and then along right. comes an insurance adjuster who's like, okay, and who is going to clean all this up? Well, actually, um, one of the things I liked about Babylon Five which I watched religiously, um, was they had a couple of story resolutions in the middle, basically at the end of their third year, they resolved this entire story arc with the Earth government being, you know, uh, turning into kind of a dictatorship. And what was interesting about that is that they that allowed them to play out what the aftermath of that was. Mm-hmm. And then I think more, more or less by accident, they ended up rushing their story resolution in their fourth year because they were afraid they were going to be canceled, and they got a fifth year. Um, wasn't a great season, but it was still kind of fascinating in the sense that it was about what happens when the battles that you spent the last years fighting are over, mm-hmm. and it's what you're left with is a mess, and you're the ones who have inherited it, and mm-hmm. how do you put it back together? And they didn't, you know, the execution of that wasn't so great, but the execution of the aftermath of the, the Civil War episodes they did. Mm-hmm actually pretty pretty cool and i like that approach of saying you know when the when when the big bad is defeated it's not the end it's the beginning and the, some of the best drama is in how you mm-hmm. cope with the aftermath and so this and buffy you... always did that too where they, they would usually have the big bad defeated in the penultimate episode of the mm-hmm. season and then the last episode was you know rather than doing a season ending cliffhanger they did that sometimes but they also did it where the last episode was the fallout it was it was about the characters like planetary and not really about the the, the story arc which right. had already which been resolved i was, was going to point out in planetary they don't necessarily do that as well then because they they the last issue doesn't deal with the aftermath of what does humanity do now they're not being repressed anymore yeah um, it deals more with the individual characters and right. how have they changed? Right, and, but like I said, I sort of feel like friend. I sort of feel like those themes were so were so done in the authority that it's almost like they were saying, well, you know, mm. we're we're not going to talk about that here. That would be a, right. that's a whole other that's a whole other series. I also don't yeah. think we we don't have a really strong narrative tradition in 
in serial drama of any type that deals deals well with the aftermath. I mean, most of the strength of, of 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 serial drama tends to be here is a situation, here is an antagonist, here is how we build our case, and here is how we we ultimately prevail, and the series ends. But you never have one that starts off with, well, we've we've got a mess, we we no longer have a common enemy, so how are we supposed to bond with each other? There was a. Uh... Peter David, who's a comic writer, oh, yeah. amongst other things. X Factor. I love his X Factor. Yeah. He uh well he wrote a series of Star Trek novels uh-huh. um called The New Frontier. And it was like a whole different crew and stuff. And the interesting thing was the main character, the captain, was from this planet or something. Uh and he his people were slaves or something, and he led a rebellion on the planet when he was like 20, 21, and became the whole leader of this rebellion that overthrew this entire empire that had been there mm-hmm. forever. Um, How do you follow that up? And then the, the he joined the, Starfleet. Apparently, well, yeah. he, he he tried anything because essentially, <laughs> yeah. like his life had peaked at yeah. twenty one, and now he was in his forties, and you know he wasn't part of the government. He wasn't that wasn't his thing, and uh, those aspects of the character were so interesting to me because it was sort of what do you do you, after? Yeah. yeah, you've you've done this. Yeah, how do you top it? Where do you go on with your life? And and the thing that you've succeeded at stories. is done, and they don't need that anymore. Yeah, right. right. That's the In other fact, thing is it's now we don't, counterproductive. President, yeah. president, I mean, George Washington, thumbs up, good job. Right. Because generally, the guy who leads the revolution is probably not who you want as yeah. your leader after the, a res- revolution. revolution. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not what he's good at. You yeah. know, they're they're good at the 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 you know organizing the factions and and thro- overthrowing the bad guys, not yeah, necessarily I'd governing. Love, I'd love to see a series about someone who's trying to figure out what the heck they're doing now that the revolution's over or now that they've vanquished. Um, I've read the Hunger Games, the the YA trilogy, while I was on maternity leave, and then I went and read other people's reactions to that book, and a lot of people really hated the ending of the third book, which. Um, Makes total sense from a purely logical and practical perspective. I feel like we should do the spoiler horn for this, too. I can hear the spoiler horn now. She lives, but she basically gets put out to pasture by the government because she's no longer politically useful. And she goes back to her village and leads a very quiet life. And people are complaining, oh, my God. And I thought, no, this makes perfect sense. You've had a highly unstable 17-year-old killer. You're not going to make her the minister of culture. Right. I mean, you're you're basically going to make sure that she she can't embarrass you and well, it, and push and you, her out of the way. She doesn't necessarily want to be in that position anyway, no, right? She, exactly. She's been messed up and wants yeah. to just go home. But it, it's it's Winston <laughs> Churchill. Like yeah. this happens in the real world. Mm-hmm. The minute World War II was over, they got rid of him. Oh yeah. It came back later, but it was pretty disastrous. <sighs> I, I seem yeah. I vaguely remember. I read a book on British history also on maternity leave, but that's just a big. Pink sleep Big deprived blur. blur. <laughs> there were English people in it. That's all we know. Something about a blitz. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, but um, uh, maybe that is a strength of this series is that they really don't show you the the cleanup effort, as it were. It's 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 just it's one man's emotional journey from point A to point B. He creates this surrogate family, and oh by the way, they happen to overflow the sinister cabal that's been thwarting humanity's right. progress. One one nigh immortal. <laughs> Superpowered man's emotional yeah. journey. Right. I do wonder what's going to happen to him now. It is the 21st century, so is he just going to keep on going? Uh, evidently, he's the dual century, two century guy. Well, but, he's he's supposed to be the ghost of the 20th century, which I always felt was like a nice cheat, where they could say yeah. he lives on mm-hmm. because he's the ghost of the 20th century, crotchety guy. Yeah, yeah. because back Je- in my day, that's right. Because Jenny my Sparks dies, and she the Jenny, right. and, and she just drops dead at and, the turn of the century. Yeah, and now there's Jenny Quantum, and they had a plot line, I think, in Authority, where they went back and they got to meet Jenny Fire and Jenny Steam and Jenny Cole Power and. Nice. Glad I'm, yeah. I'm not Jenny Cole Power. <laughs> but Jenny Fire was a crow yeah. magnum, which I thought was right. just delightful. Jenny Jenny uh, uh, Paddle Wheel. They it, they may have actually had something like that. The idea <laughs> was right. that all all of the the cognitive and technological leaps that shaped civilization there was there was a Jenny like figure that helped put all the pieces together. The concept behind that, that the planet is a sort of living organism yeah. that creates the creatures on it in a way, and that the planetary defense system is these century babies. Yeah, it creates its own so immune nice. system effectively. And that was, oh, that's actually another thing about um, planetary and authority and the rest is they have all these beautiful throwaway ideas that they they just kind of casually mention where you could spin entire series. Right. Warren Ellis is yeah. like an idea factory. Mm-hmm. He's so. amazing. Yeah. So um, any other last words about planetary before we move on? 
I will never, ever get the image of those children's heads blowing up out of my mind. Oh, mm. that's such a crazy, again, cinematic, too, yeah. right? Where yeah. there's a, the row of children working at the computers, and they've yeah. all got these kind of the collars around their yeah. necks. And they press, they, they have a fight and try to keep the guy from pressing the red button. And he, he presses, presses the red it, button, yeah. and then they blow, basically blow up all the kids' heads, except the one kid who's close enough that they can pull it off yeah. before his head blows yeah. up. Yeah, horrifying, and the, I will never, ever forget it. I think it's interesting, though, in that we've been talking about the whole series. We didn't talk about the fact that the three main characters have powers. We just briefly mentioned it, but it's almost like a side thing. The fact that Elijah Snow can make free stuff. Yeah, I would never think of him as like an analog to Iceman or something like that. It's just, I would never, that's not his... It was almost a function of his personality. His power is that he's got power and that he's old and knows stuff, right? Right, it was... Yeah. Well, like you said, it's a function of personality the same way where Jakita Wagner may have superhuman strength and, and a near invulnerability to pain, but her, her real power is the fact that she's just relentlessly fearless. And and for the drummer, who I he find him, stuff. he's really opaque. He was, a yeah. hard, he was a hard character to get a grasp on for me. Well, he in some ways, he's the exposition character, yeah. right? He, he, he knows stuff when they need him to know stuff, and he can explain stuff when he needs them yeah. to explain stuff. And he was stuff. comic relief because there's that, oh, oh, you kids today, yeah. pass it. But like I said, I, I felt like he was the hardest one to get a grasp on. But still, at the same time, it wasn't the fact that the man is basically a living, breathing computer. It's, it's that you know he can actually translate what he knows to, to language that people can understand. I like when they treat the powers as just, oh, he's left-handed. Oh, he can shoot fire from his fingertips. Oh, he's right. Yeah, it's <laughs> he's common. a gifted graphic artist, and he has laser vision. You know, <laughs> as, as often happens. Yeah. Mm. So, um, what else are you guys reading these days? <laughs> well, it turns out there's not a lot of good things out there. Really? So it's not just me then? No. Well, I I did just finish literally this morning the Why the Last Man. Oh, you finally finished that. I finally We should I, do I started, a whole we should do a we whole do podcast a, about why. I talk want to talk like about the, that the, last issue. The ending that, was so disappointing for me. It that stuck with me for days, but probably not for the intended reasons. All right, so we'll save that for yeah. I think okay. maybe that could be our next topic, in fact. Yes. Right. I would love to go back and read those again. But because why, I read those yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah. Why is not a recent series? No. And no, it's not. No, but that's okay. I actually right. think there are, there are ongoings and there are, there are stories that are kind of playing out and then there are things that, that are out there. And in some ways, I would think for the great incomparable listenership as well, um, that you can go out and get and read, right? Instead of trying to find back issues and future things and wait around for six months or 10 years for it to finish, you can just go out and buy the book and read it. There's something to be said for that. And Why yeah. the Last Man is, what, 50 issues? Yes, and uh, and has a resolution, whether it's satisfying or not. It has an ending, and that's right. the end of the story. I really love that book, but yeah, yeah, the ending. Hmm. Endings are hard, right? Endings are we'll, really, we'll have really to talk. hard. Yeah, because did you read you, did you read Ex Machina or Ex Machina, however you say? I I haven't finished it. yet. I haven't finished it either. Okay, because the Maybe thing we is, should do that too. Yeah, because I'm, really I'm, I'm four in that issues ending. away from the ending, and I've heard that the ending had really mixed reactions, and so I'm dying to to. When it comes out in trade, I'm going to grab it. Right. And that's another yeah. Brian K. Vaughn book. Like, right. Why the Last Man. Right. The Supermare. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah. but don't they hint at the ending in the beginning? They do. Like, basically, it's, it's supposed to be foreshadowed as a tragedy. And right. I've been driving myself kind of crazy because I'm right now I'm at the part with the, the crazy Pope conspiracy. And, wow. Uh, Not there yet. <laughs> I think I've only read the first three. Not really giving away a whole lot no. with crazy Pope conspiracy. All right. Yeah. <laughs> What else is new? Another crazy Pope conspiracy yeah. again? So of, of ongoing series, is I picked up uh, the new Moon Knight number one. So new Moon Knight oh, Moon series. Knight. Which Moon, Moon Knight, a great character from the Marvel. 70s, I love the 80s. Bill Sinkovich yeah. Moonlight, Moon right. Knight. And, and interesting in a superhero archetype in that he's kind of the Batman character, but also has multiple personalities. Yeah, so, he's like Batman except even crazier. Right. Yeah. He had the, the mercenary guy, the Mark Spector the Jake Lockley who drove a cab and the rich guy Langley or something mm-hmm. was his name. So he's had a lot of uh, series and cancellations and series. At one point he was in Moon Knight armor and you know crazy stuff. Um, so Brian Michael Bendis has a new series out with uh, that artist he did Daredevil with. His name is escaping me right now. But the whole idea is they've taken the multiple personality and they've gone further with it. So now he's got a Spider-Man living in his head and a Wolverine living in his head and a Captain America living in his head. <laughs> and he can mimic all of their abilities 
Ooh. as well as his other personalities. And they've hinted there may be more. And so that aspect is really interesting. So it's like, oh, let me pick it up. And the artwork is beautiful. Um, but the first issue, uh, what's the word? Not good, bad. Oh. <laughs> Only because it, it's it's sort of like the opening paragraph of a book. Like mm-hmm. it, It's not a complete story. It's not right. like Planetary did so well yeah. at having a complete satisfying story per issue. Yeah, Bendis basically mm-hmm. writes in groups of four issues. Right. So I don't recommend picking it up because yeah. all of the, there was some neat hints at stuff, but overall nothing happened. Right. No real sense of what the point is. Yeah. Just terrible. This is why I don't buy single issues anymore. Is right. I know. I, I, I try that too. I, I made a mistake. I, I started buying single it. issues on my iPad. That's where I'm. That's where I'm buying single issues now, and I'm reading because there are some day and date comics mm-hmm. on on the iPad now. I'm reading Invincible day and date on the mm-hmm. iPad. And thank you, Lisa, for mm-hmm. for turning me on to that. Um, and I'm reading uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Marvel's one of Marvel Marvel's only attempts Ultimate Spider-Man. at day and date is yeah. they decided Mar- they're going to try it, and they're trying it with a couple of the Ultimate titles, and Ultimate Spider-Man is one of them. So I'm reading those as they come out now and they're they're now in this weird death of the ultimate death of spider-man arc which is like mm. they, they how many times they already said they were going to kill him and didn't kill him and this is next they're going to also say they are going to kill him and they're not really going to kill him and oh, aren't they really going to kill him <laughs> I, I, of course not uh, you know how, how could they do that they'll, maybe, they'll this, find, maybe this time it's real they'll they'll fib about it but actually that this arc has been funny and they're tying it in with this uh, avengers versus ultimates thing that's that's terrible i bought a couple of those issues and those are those are just embarrassingly nonsensical but the the part of the arc that i liked recently in ultimate spider-man which i love i mean and very similar to invincible in some ways is that um after all this time of shield being aware of who peter parker is and that he's spider-man and that he's this kid and they've always had the attitude like like this kid is spider-man you know he's too young he's too powerful he's kind of uh, you know not trustworthy he's a loose cannon um, at some point, Carol Danvers, I think, is in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, says, says um, basically, we don't trust you anymore. You are going to – we're either going to shut you down, lock you up, or you're going to take superhero lessons from the Ultimates. And so – and and they have a vote about, like, what to do. And Captain America is like, no, no, just 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 Hello. lock him up. <laughs> yeah. And 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 some of the other – like, Iron Man really likes him and, and Tony Stark kind of relates to him. Um, so God they, so they, <laughs> so they send, well, yeah. I, I, and so there's, yeah. it's, it's pretty funny. And they send Tony Stark or they send Iron Man to, to Peter's house. And he just, mm-hmm. Iron Man appears at Peter's house and Peter's like, get out of here. I have a secret identity. Mm-hmm. Get, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you somewhere. Go away. Um, and then Captain America, who's very reluctant, he shows up at one point and, 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 you know, gives him a hard time and says how he shouldn't be doing this and he really needs to be more responsible and all these things. That's a great arc. That's actually really enjoyable because it, it's playing off of this fundamental idea of that series that I love, which is he, he is a kid. He does have these powers. He's trying to navigate his complicated kind of kid social life as well as the bigger adult world of the superheroes. That stuff is great. Now this, And then yet every issue has got Death of Spider-Man slapped on it, and I just roll my eyes and think, you know, you're telling good stories. Do you need – to to lay these kind of crazy story arc stunts on top when the stories you're telling are actually pretty good. But they're going to mess it up and it's going to take them a year to get back to status quo. Presumably they will. You mean like the big flood? Like uh, the big flood, which totally changed everything about the Ultimate Universe except it didn't do anything. Right. Yeah, it would have some troublesome it got It put Jonah Jameson in charge of a website instead of a newspaper. They've just and, described and killed my day some job. Characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since we lost our print analog a while back, so. that's that's right. right. <laughs> you and you and Jay Jonah Jameson. By the he way, follow. My, oh, thank, he's follow. one of my favorite Twitter, 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 yes. whatever you want to call. Please it. follow Jay Jonah Jameson on Twitter. Oh my it is, god, Delightful. all of his tweets are in all capital letters, and he basically yells at Miss Brandt, Miss Brandt, and 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 they they changed his his um, avatar his, to be. I, I, have a, I don't like his new avatar. Uh, I like the old. I one love better. it. I love it because that's the Jay Jonah Jameson from the 1960s um, yeah. Spider-Man cartoon. And when they did that, they also did some tweets where he complains about teenagers, which is actually yeah. all that Jonah Jameson does in the original uh, Spider-Man animated show is is complain about you know Miss Brandt. I'm 
tired of these teenagers like Parker getting in my way. Sample uh. sample tweet is, I have just found out what a Lady Gaga is. Kill it, kill it with fire. <laughs> <laughs> there was one after Osama bin Laden was was, was killed. Uh, mm-hmm. He tweeted, uh, attention, President Obama. I can think of another menace that now also needs your attention. He's in New York. I can tell you where he is. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. The I only follow of of comic characters on Twitter. I only follow Drunk Hulk. Drunk, Drunk Hulk, Hulk is good. J. Jonah Jameson. I'm better. Telling you. better. All right. J. Jonah Jameson. Delightful. I'm going there now. Anything, yeah. Lisa, that you're that you're reading that, I, of new or old? Well, I read the second volume of Unwritten, or the second trade, I should say. Ah. And uh. that actually continues a lot of the themes where it's uh, the idea that when you remake stories, you can remake history because they end up in a bunch of Third Reich propaganda. And, wow. Uh, I'm going to read that soon because as a Hugo voter, I will get the Hugo packet with all the Hugo nominees in it. How did you it, become a Hugo and voter? It, and it got nominated for um, for a Hugo award. for Actually, to be a Hugo voter, all you have to do is become a supporting member of the Worldcon Science Fiction Convention, which is in Reno this year. So I'm actually oh, going. Sweet. Oh. Um, but you can also uh, – the last couple of years I've been a voter. Um, you pay sort of half price of the mm-hmm. convention fee to um, to so you don't have to attend if you don't mm-hmm. want to. But you can vote. So, so basically, you buy your vote. Yeah, okay. you you buy you buy a vote and um, and you get um, you buy a vote and you get uh, the packet and the packet mm-hmm. usually contains all of the novels uh-huh. that are nominated, all the short stories, and all the all the graphic stories. Oh, not not wow. always all, but most yeah. of them. So like I got Fables as a mm-hmm. PDF last year, and I got yeah. the the Batman arc by uh, by Neil Gaiman last year. As it turns out, I am also reading Fables. I highly recommend. Um, becoming a supporting member and, yeah. and getting the Hugo nominees. So I'll, I'll read the unwritten volume uh, two. I get to vote for the Eisners, but we don't get free comics. Shameful. Oh. It is. It's wrong. Yeah, it is absolutely wrong. If you're going to vote on something, you need to... Uh... We well, to... the digital the digital revolution has changed things where, you know, I'm sure they didn't give out free books before, but now that now they can just send a now PDF or an EPUB a yeah. of a nominated book or a PDF of a nominated comic, and uh, so it works mm-hmm. pretty well. Yeah, no, unwritten um, fables, and I have a bunch of Gail Simone books on my Amazon wish list that I'll probably go through and clean out soon because I follow her slavishly. All right. So, so uh, next up, let's talk why the last man. We'll yes. try to do that. So read that if you haven't. And um, until then, uh, and we're going to try to do this every month now. We're gonna we're gonna set something up. Uh, so we'll mm-hmm. be back sooner than this last gap was, or the one before that. I thought that gap was appropriate for planetary. It was. It's very meta right. that way. That's true. That's, it was all intentional, folks. Yes. All intentional. Yes. For the next one, it's just going to be the women talking. I'll be talking to myself the whole hour. <laughs> Until then, uh, this has been the Comic Book Club for the incomparable, not the planetary, not planetary, all the incomparable. Uh, I'm Jason Snell, and thank you to Jason Brightman. Thank you very much. And to Lisa Schmeiser. Always a pleasure. Until the next edition of The Incomparable and the next soon-to-be-released edition of The Comic Book Club, we promise. Thanks for listening.